Before we get started, I've got a Ford Expedition black out in the parking lot, license plate KJD930, your lights are on. And hurry back, because I've got a good sermon this morning. <laughs> we'll bow our heads and pray while you leave so we won't know that it's you. We'll be in Job chapter 1 this morning. That will be the passage that I will preach from, Job chapter 1. And I really would like to pray before I start. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that you would use my tongue to sustain those that are weary in this room. That you'd use this passage to embolden us as we struggle. And that you'd use this passage to prepare those of us in this room that are not struggling right now for the certain storms of life that are coming. So that we could stand through it all and give you praise and honor and glory. And I ask this for your namesake, Father, not merely ours, but for your namesake. Amen. One of my responsibilities as your pastor <clears throat> is to preach to you in public settings like this and to pray for you in the privacy of my office down the hall in such a way that you are prepared for the trials and tribulations of life that are coming. And I take that calling very, very seriously. And I pledge to you that I'm a faithful pastor and praying for you, as I did this week, that you'd be ready to struggle well and suffer well, and so that at the end of all of it you could remain confident in your God and worship Him through and through. This calling that I have to prepare you for times like that is biblical. Luke writes in Acts 14.22, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.16, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And I could go on and on and on. The calling is there in the Bible. Get ready. Difficult times are coming. And as your pastor, I'm going to be faithful to get us ready for those days, and I'm going to be faithful to be beside you as you endure those days. I take this calling seriously, as I said, and that means that sometimes I will have to preach from very difficult passages of Scripture. And I think Job 1, the book of Job, is a difficult passage of Scripture. There's a lot of pastors that shrink back from difficult passages, and we cannot do that. We have got to go to the hard ones on occasion. Or we will present our congregations as anemic and weak and not ready for this certain struggle in life that's going to come. And so... That's what this morning is about. And as I've surveyed my congregation here, I think there are three types of people in this room right now. There's those of us that have suffered greatly and had to endure intense trials and tribulations. And maybe it's in our past, and we can look back on it with clear, vivid recollection. There's those in this room that are struggling in a tribulation right this minute. And it's been a long season that you've been enduring under this burden. 
And then the third type of person in this room is one that has not endured suffering and struggling yet, but I tell you, it is coming. And so this sermon is for all of us, whether it's in our past, in our present, or in our future. I point you to Job as the example of how to endure under great trials and tribulations. So suffering's coming, and we will all suffer, and I do not, I do not intend to be a pessimist. I'm a realist. And I believe the Bible, and the Bible says it's coming. So let's get ready, and let's endure if we're in the midst of it right now. The other thing that I'll say in setting up this sermon this morning is when we endure these trials and tribulations that are coming, there are times that it seems meaningless and wrong and undeserved. Not all suffering is punishment from God. We're going to see a clear example of that this morning. Just because we're suffering, we cannot assume that we're being throttled by the Lord with the rod of discipline. Because that's not what Job endured. So we need to be clear that it's often undeserved. It seems pointless to us, but we've got to know for certain that there is a grand purpose behind the times that the Lord takes us through. And oftentimes, when we question what we're going through, we can even question the justice of God. And I don't want us to be people that doubt God's justice. We can question, we can pray, we can plead, we can weep, we can grieve. But at the end of the day, we must say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's physically and humanly impossible without Jesus Christ. You can't do it in the flesh. So with this certainty, here's my goal for this sermon this morning. I've got two. Number one, when you suffer and when I suffer, we will do so in such a way that we do not curse God and die. And number two, when we suffer, that we will continually worship God as the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things, who works all things together for good according to his will. That is the goal of this sermon, and that is the goal no matter how intense or how extreme the pain is that God brings into our life. So... I don't want us to leave this morning and go get in the parking lot in our Black Ford Expedition. I don't want us to go do that with just a grin and bear at Christianity. I don't want to produce in your hearts a John Wayne mentality where you just stick stick between your teeth and bite down hard and keep on going. No, I want you to leave here able to worship God no matter what your circumstances are. That's the goal of this sermon. So let's look at Job now. And let's see a startling passage of Scripture, one that is very, very troubling to us. Let's acknowledge that. Let's not hide from that fact. And let's try to see what God would have us to learn from this. So Job chapter 1, picking up in verse 1. Verses 1 through 5 are biographical. Okay, We're going to read those as a package here. I want you to think of verses 1 through 5 of Job 1 as Job's baseball card. You turn over on the back and you're going to see some statistics about Job. So let's understand this man Job. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest 
of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So here we see that Job is a blameless and upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. There's no evidence in Job's life of a sinful nature that that he's struggling with a particular sin in his life. The scriptures say here he was the greatest of all the people in the East. And that was materially and spiritually. So what does this blameless, upright man look like? Well, Scripture doesn't say it, but we know what blameless and upright looks like in the life of a man. Number one, he's an honest man, full of integrity, godly integrity. I would imagine that Job was ever faithful to his wife and had eyes only for her. I'm sure he treated those servants that God blessed him with well and that he traded with even scales. He was not a swindler in business dealings. And he was generous to the poor giving abundantly to those that didn't have. He didn't have any idols in his life that he bowed down to. He was not pugnacious. That's a biblical word, pugnacious. He was not a brawler, not an arguer, not a fighter. He was gentle and loving. And he was rock solid, steadfast on God because it says he feared God. He has seven sons and three daughters. So God's richly blessed his family. He's got 7,000 sheep. He's got thousands of camels thousands of yoke of, of, of oxen, and this is how man's wealth was calculated in that day and age, not too far from where we are today. We just count how many oil wells a guy has, right? How many acres he has. So Job's this blessed man, and he's blessed spiritually and materially. And look at what he does. He has these sons, and he is so concerned about his children that he considers their well-being constantly. And he's concerned that maybe, just maybe, in their hearts, they've cursed God. And so he goes and makes sacrifice and offerings for them to God, saying, God, bless my kids. He's that others-oriented, and he's that God-oriented. He wants God to be blessed by his sons, not cursed. And so Job was a God-centered man, even in the view of his family. That's who we know about Job. That's what we know about Job. Let's now look to verse 6, and let's see some startling Scripture. And let's soak it in and apply it to our lives as we go through this, picking up in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also among them. These sons of God, perhaps angelic beings, hosts of heaven, heavenly beings, they come before God in his counsel, And amongst them comes, he's not one of them, he comes amongst them is Satan. Also a good word for Satan there is the adversary. That's a true translation of that word. So imagine this. God assembles this council of heavenly beings and the adversary, Satan, comes in amongst them. And now we're going to see a dialogue from Scripture between God and Satan. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Does that trigger a verse that I've proclaimed from this pulpit every Sunday that I've been here? 
Remember 1 Peter 5.8? You need it. Be sober-minded. Be alertful. Be a watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's 1 Peter 5.8, New Testament. Here in Job chapter 1, verse 7, Satan says, I've been going around to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it, prowling around seeking someone to devour. And the Lord said to Satan in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Startling passage, because Satan doesn't come and say, Hey God, you see that Job over there? Let me have him. Satan says, I've been prowling around. And God initiates the concept of Job to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He's blameless. He fears me. And there's none like him on all the earth. He turns away from evil. In fact, that brings to mind six Sundays ago, Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to tell you that Job is a Psalm 1 man. Let's just go there right quick. Didn't plan on this, but let's read it. Hear, hear it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's Job. Is that you? Are you ready for the storms of life? Do you do Psalm 1? I preached about it five weeks ago. I'm going to bring it up again. Are you a Psalm 1 man and woman? You've got to be, because you've got to get ready for times like Job's about to go through. He is like a tree, verse 3 of Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But then, verse 4, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Job is the blessed man, not the cursed man. He is a Psalm 1 man, and God offers him up to Satan, who is prowling around seeking someone to devour. So Satan doesn't ask for Job. God offers him, and God offers Satan his best man. Because the scriptures say there's no other man like him. So God offers up his best. Then in verse 9 of Job 1, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand, God, and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. So Satan here accuses Job of believing a health and wealth and prosperity gospel. Satan says, you mess with Job's material possessions, those kids and all that stuff, and he will curse you to your face because he only loves you, God, for what you give him and not for who you are. And so I ask you this morning, as I've asked myself all this week, do I love God for what he gives me? or who he is, period, in spite of what I get or don't get. 
You need to test your heart. You've got to ask this question, and you've got to ask it often. Why do I love God? Because if it's for what He gives you, it could be that He takes away from you, and you will then not love God, and you will curse Him as Satan wants you to. That's what he wants. That's his prowling activity. He wants to devour you with hatred towards God because you were only skin deep in the material blessings that you got from him. And so we see here that Satan accuses Job of this health and wealth and prosperity gospel. He says Satan believes in his best life now when we as Christians need to believe in our best life for eternity. And Satan here is depicted to us as an accuser. He accuses Job of this prosperity gospel that he believes. Look at, uh, well, just, just listen to Revelation 12:10 through 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Satan knows he's defeated. He knows his days are numbered. And so he says that the scriptures tell us that he goes before God accusing us, just like he's accused Job here. That's the devil. That's the adversary that is prowling around amongst us. So Satan is an accuser, and Satan is a liar. John 8:44 says that Satan is the father of all lies, and all that he can speak is a lie because there is no truth in him. So we do have to contend with this lying accuser. But we have a God who is sovereign over him, as we will see momentarily. So in verse 12, God responds to Satan's accusation and says, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, Satan. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So the stakes are high. God has pulled up his most valuable human, the greatest human in all the land and all the earth, and he has offered him to Satan and said, you can strike all that he has. All that I've given him, you can strike it, but you cannot strike him. So we see here divine sovereignty. God is sovereign over this situation. God in his sovereignty for some reason offers up Job to Satan and God in his sovereignty has a leash on this lion, Satan. Because he says only you cannot touch his flesh. There's a leash on this prowling lion and that's good news. Sobering news that God would offer up Job. Tremendous news that there's a leash on, on Satan. And Satan can't have his will with Job. And verse 12 finishes with saying, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You know, Jesus is just like God the Father, because he, he is God himself. 
Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. And in verse 27, it says this, And all the people that saw this were amazed. And so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So even Jesus had command over Satan and his demons and his unclean spirits, just as God does here in Job's life. So we worship a sovereign God. Yes, there's struggles that come into our lives. Yes, there's suffering. But we worship a God that has sovereignty over even Satan. So here's the good news. Satan is not sovereign. Satan is not in control of your life or things that go on in this world without God having him, giving him permission and the ability to work what he works. He is limited only to do what God will permit. Believe that. Do not give Satan credit that he does not deserve. Satan is not sovereign or free, and God is not oblivious to what's happening in our lives. Some people abuse the scriptures and say that God is outside of the things that are happening in this world, and when bad things happen to good people, God himself is even surprised. That's what some people would have you to believe, that God would not allow that. He is surprised, he is out of control, and the forces of evil have taken over. That is not who the God of the Bible is. That's good news. God is perpetually sovereign. So what we have to do is we have to seek God to understand why in his sovereignty he allows things to happen. Why he allows Satan even to be on a leash and to come and ravage our lives just for a moment. That's the question that I know we are all having. And we will get to answer that here momentarily. So now watch verse 13. We're going to go quick through these next verses. Satan leaves the presence of God on this leash, but he leaves the presence of God. And it says in 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters, Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, round three, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And then we get round four. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon you, the, peop the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So within minutes, Job learns of total loss of all his material possessions and his children. Just like Horatio and his family on the boat. I love Micah's story. Wasn't premeditated. 
He lost his son and his four daughters, but not his wife, on a boat. What's the response of these men going to be to this calamity that's come into their life? Verse 20, we see what Job responds to. And by the way, let me just show you that, that here Satan has just brought about this evil in Job's life, and he has used people, the Chaldeans and the Sabians. He has used the elements, this fire of God. Perhaps that's lightning that starts a big grass fire. And this great wind, perhaps a tornado or hurricane force winds. So we see elements and we see people used by the enemy to wreak havoc in the lives of God's people. We know about that, don't we? So Job in verse 20, he responds to this instantaneous report from four corners with this. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped and worshipped the tearing of the clothes the shaving of the head the sitting down on the ground that's all grieving and grieving is healthy and God understands when we grieve and when we cry out but in the midst of that grieving he grieved in a way that was worship and worshipped huge words in this passage Huge words. All of Job's prosperity is gone within minutes on a single day, and he worships. And let's look at what his worship looked like, picking up in verse 21. He says this, Naked I came in from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Job had a very loose grip on his material possessions. He didn't clutch to his stuff. He didn't even clutch to his family. He clutched to God. So we've got to see here in Job's life, a loose grip is what we are called to have on the things that God has blessed us with. A loose grip on our money a loose grip on relationships, a loose grip on our businesses, a loose grip on our properties. And we need to be able to say that the Lord gave it to me and the Lord can take it away from me. It's not mine. I am a steward of this and God has decided I shall have it for a period and for some reason God shall decide to take it away from me for a period. It is God's. Are you that God-centered with your stuff? I know you struggle with that. I struggle with that. So quickly in the midst of our week, we start grabbing our stuff and clutching it and finding satisfaction in it. And if it gets yanked from us with fire or wind or people, how are we going to respond? Satan wants us to curse God to his face. Jesus spoke to this issue in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Hear the elements and the people. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves will not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Job's treasure was God. God told Satan, Job's treasure is me. And Job acts that out and shows truly where his treasure is. Verse 24 of Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Loose grip on your stuff. Tight grip on your God. Be like Job. So the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and we must say at the end of the day, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, how often do we quickly acknowledge God in life when things are good and happy, and we say, it's a God thing. It's just a God thing. We're just so happy that this good stuff's happened to us. And then when tragedy strikes, we're not saying it's just a God thing, are we? Why aren't we? I don't like it's just a God thing, by the way. It's a little too casual. There's a sovereign God who has a perfect will in store for us, and he's acting out his will according to his good pleasure. And whether it's great or tragic, it is a God thing. It is his will. Blessed be the name of the Lord, even though I don't understand it. Job did not understand what God's doing here. And so Job worshipped God for who he is, not for what God gave him. Can you bless God in the midst of turmoil? That's the question this morning. Because it's coming. And Satan wants you to curse him. So, I want to ask you a question now. You look at Job's life. Is there a part of you inside that wants to, wants to charge God with wrong on behalf of Job? Do you just say, God, that is not right. I charge you with wrong here. Job did not deserve this. He was blessed with all this material possession and he still was blameless and upright. He did not deserve this. You are wrong, God. Is there any ounce of you that wants to charge God with that? Well, it's one thing when it's in the Bible and it's removed from your life, but when you suffer in the past, in the present, or when it's coming in the future, are you going to be inclined to charge God with wrong? But God, I did this. But God, I am like this. That's inside of you. And the accuser is telling God that you'll deny him. And so I, I urge you this morning to imitate Job. Imitate him with all that you can. And we're going to talk in a little bit about how we can do that. Okay? I'm not going to just tell you to do it and leave you alone. I'm going to tell you how you can imitate Job. Okay? God has given you things to be Job-like as you endure the trials and tribulations of this world. So now we go to chapter 2. In chapter 2, it's like round 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came amongst them to present himself before God. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So he's still on the prowl. He didn't defeat Job. He didn't defeat God. God was victorious in this first test. And Job didn't curse him to his face. So he's out again, prowling. Round two. Going to try this thing again. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Without reason. Suffering came without reason, according to Job's life. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, hide for hide. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The accusation, yet again, from the adversary. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. You can touch his flesh and his bone. But you can't touch his life. The leash, yet again. Sovereign God. Uh, Not sovereign Satan. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with with loathsome sores from the soles of his foot, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Brutal. This after losing ten children and thousands upon thousands of livestock, burned up property, all your employees are gone, all you've got left, according to the passage, is a wife. We'll look at her in a moment. That's all you've got. And now you don't even have your health, and you're scraping your flesh with a piece of pottery to get the infection off of you. Listen to Job over in 7.5. He says, My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. Oh, why, God? Why? And Job, all the while, does not have access to the conversation between God and Satan, does he? We get the benefit of that. Job did not have the benefit of that. If Job knew that God allowed this, only you can't take his life, it might have been easier to endure, but he didn't even know. He thought his life was in jeopardy. But there was a sovereign God that said, your life will be sustained. Job doesn't know that. We do. So, God says he still holds fast to his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So, We see that Satan accuses him again of the prosperity, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You take his life, you take his health, and he'll curse you. And so now we've had people, we've had elements, and now we have disease. Everything has been thrown at Job that a human can endure through. Everything. The devil has thrown the kitchen sink at Job. So then we see his wife, and as if that wasn't enough. Then his wife said to him in verse 9, chapter 2, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. All this loss, now you've lost your health. The only thing you have remaining is your wife. And then your wife says this, Can you imagine Satan 
at that moment when she says, Hey, Job, curse God and die. Can't you just see Satan going, Oh, here we go. Here it comes. Watch this, God. Don't you imagine? The only thing he has left is saying, Do it, Job. And so Satan must think that victory is very near because even the faith of his wife has collapsed. Verse 10, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Do you have Job-like faith and trust and reverence for God? Does that look like you right now? How do you view this situation? We look at Job. I've already asked the question, do you want to defend Job and accuse God of wrongdoing here? You know, man's perspective of this passage... Man's perspective is this. This man, Job, deserved prosperity. He deserved peace and harmony and comfort and happiness and blessing because he feared God. He even made sacrifice on behalf of his children in case they cursed God in their hearts. He deserved good. That's how the world would look at Job's life. But God's perspective is very, very, very different. I think God says this man Job was the ideal candidate to offer up to Satan. There is no man like this. He is upright more so than anybody on the earth. He's the one that I want to offer up to Satan because he will be able to withstand the prowling lion who's seeking someone to devour. So God looks at this very different than man. And the ultimate aim of God, we've got to get to this point. What is the purpose of God for doing this? God exists for His own glory. When we want our glory, we sin. When God wants His glory, it's not sin because He's God, the Creator and Maker of all things and the Sustainer of all things. All things exist for God. And so God is described in the Bible as a jealous God. He's jealous for His glory to be proclaimed amongst all of creation. And so God says, I am going to be most glorified when my strongest man endures the most gruesome and horrific trials and tribulations and stands through it to the end and says, shall we thank God for good and curse Him when bad comes? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's who I want to stand the test for all of creation to look in and see. So, here's the deal. I've got four biblical truths. That's all set up now for four biblical truths that you need to take away from this passage and live out this next week. Okay? So, number one, God is the center of all things. Everything exists for him. Tony read Psalm 115 to us. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 3. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. 
for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. And it pleased God to offer up Job so that all of creation and Satan could see God glorified in a man that remained steadfastly riveted on God. And he didn't curse God and die. And he didn't curse God to his face. He blessed God and worshipped while grieving. He wasn't John Wayne. He grieved. He shaved his head. He tore his clothes. He sat in the dust. He put on sackcloth. He scraped, but he worshipped while he did it all. So number one, God is the center of all things. Job's prosperity was for the glory of God. All the kids, all the livestock, all the servants, all the acreage was all for the glory of God. And Job's suffering was for the glory of God. Both were for God's glory. Point number two. Suffering is not our only concern, people. We don't need to be avoiding only suffering in this life. Because I'm going to tell you that prosperity is just as deadly in the human life. And Satan uses both prosperity and suffering to tool God's people. He uses suffering, pain, to make us think that God is either out of control, unaware, or vengeful, mean, heinous, wicked. So when people endure bad things, Satan would love for us to think those things about God. It's what he wanted Job to do. He wanted Job to curse him to his face. But Satan also uses prosperity or pleasure to tool God's people. And you know what he wants to do there? He wants you to think that God is not necessary. I've got all these camels, all these kids, all this acreage, and all these employees, and all these clients, and oil wells, and cattle, and, and you name it. And you know what? God's pretty small, and I'm pretty big. And I'm handling up on my business pretty good. Satan would love to have you in a prosperity situation where you will be oblivious to the fact that God gave you all of that. So we don't need to walk away from Job only fearing suffering. <laughs> we need to fear prosperity equally. And no matter what our circumstances are, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's got to be our song and our prayer and our sermon that we preach to ourselves every single day. Do you preach to yourselves during the week? You need to. And one of your sermons needs to be, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you need to believe it all the way down in the bottom of your heart. So number two, suffering is not our only concern. Prosperity is just as deadly, if not more. Number three, God is sovereign. We see clearly in this passage the sovereignty of God. He is not surprised at Job's condition because he authored it. He ordained it. He is not powerless in this condition. He's got a leash on Satan. He's not removed from our condition and oblivious to it. No, he dials in and he knows every intricate detail of your life at every waking moment and sleeping moment because he never slumbers. 
So God is not removed from your condition. And God, number, number four on this sovereignty issue is, God is the ultimate cause behind our condition. God is the cause in Job's life of the situation that Job finds himself in. This did not happen in surprise God. And God says, ooh, Job's in trouble. I better do a counter move over here because I didn't expect that. It's not a cosmic chess match where Satan makes a move and God says, okay, well then I'm going to do this. No, Satan is under the control of God. So, I've said so far, God is the center of all things. Suffering is not our only concern. Prosperity is just as deadly. God is sovereign. And then number four, Satan is extremely limited. Let's not give Satan more credit than Satan deserves. But let's not underestimate him either. But Satan is limited. Yes, we have a 1 Peter 5.8 adversary prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. True scripture. But Job 1 shows us that he is on a leash. He is under the control of God. Satan's a prowling lion, but he's on a leash. <laughs> Both are true. We need to respect evil. We need to fear God. And so God reigns him in or lets him out in line with his divine purposes for his namesake, not for our namesake. So there's four biblical truths that we get from this, and I urge you to embrace them and to preach them to yourselves in preparation for, sermon, for, for suffering or in the midst of suffering or now as you look back and review suffering that you were called to to endure. So I'm going to close with this. How in the world then do we prepare? I've told you suffering's coming. What are we to do to prepare for this season that's coming our way? It's very, very simple conceptually. It's very, very difficult to do if we don't love Jesus Christ and if we don't know him. And there's three things. Number one, we have to ingest the word of God a lot. We've got to have a steady diet of Scripture that we're feeding ourselves so that we can be Psalm 1 men and women. If you don't have Scripture coursing through your veins when the trial hits and you're squeezed, Bible isn't going to come out. You're going to curse God and die. You're going you're to worship yourself and how you don't deserve this. You're not going to be able to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and He takes. So you've got to have a heavy, heavy diet of raw Scripture. Not synthetic Scripture that you can go get down at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> There's some books there, self-help books under the Christian disguise that are synthetic Bible. No, you need real, authentic, raw, unprocessed Bible. And you're going to get it right here in this pulpit every Sunday morning. And you're going to get it in our youth group on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings. And you're going to find it in our college gatherings on Thursday nights. And you're going to find it in our Sunday school. You're going to find it when you go to one another's house and fellowship. You're going to get raw, unpressed, unprocessed scripture if I have anything to do with it. We're going to be people of the Bible. Raw. Not supplemented with synthetics. Number two. We've got to ingest this word. I said, number two, we've got to pray for deliverance and preparation. 
Remember my second sermon on prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're going to pray after we've read the Scriptures. We're going to be prayed up so that when the storm comes and the messenger comes and tells us, hey, let me tell you what happened. We're going to be able to fall on the ground and grieve, but grieve in a way that's worshipful and acknowledging the God who made us. And then lastly, we're going to ingest the Word, we're going to pray for deliverance, and third, we're going to surround ourselves with godly counselors who have read raw Scripture and who faithfully pray to God for deliverance and who will then counsel us to bless God in the midst of our storms. So are you there? Are you doing those three things? Are you in the Word? Are you praying? Are you invested in this church or another church? If you're visiting with us today and you're a member of a church and you're out of town here, do you have a church that believes in the Bible and proclaims the gospel to one another that you can invest in to seek godly counsel from when the storms come? You're desperate for that. You're desperate for this. You're desperate for a God that hears prayer. And you're desperate for people that will point you to Him. And so I urge you to take an inventory and see how you're doing because those are the things, the tools that God's given us to prepare to endure like Job did through unmerciful suffering. So let me pray for us as we continue to worship now and we will respond to the preaching of God's Word. Father, we are thankful for the book of Job. I, I can't imagine your Bible without Job in it. For it does give us a glimpse into divine spiritual things. And it does give us a glimpse into your sovereignty and it enables us to see that Satan is not sovereign in working us over according to his own delighted will. So Father, thank you for the book of Job. Father, thank you for creating a man like Job that can have a testimony like this that we can learn from and be challenged by. Father, I pray for these dear people in this room right now. And I pray for those that are out of town that can't be with us right now. I pray, Father, that you'd prepare them to be strong and steadfast, grieving nonetheless, but strong and steadfast in worshiping you through all circumstances. Father, for those that are enduring suffering right now, would you give them bedrock, solid confidence that you are sovereign and not surprised about where they are? Father, if those look back on suffering that they've endured and they didn't do it well, would you show them that you're a gracious and forgiving God? and that you are there to prepare them for the next round that will be coming. Father, those of us that have not suffered in this room, would you prepare us in humility for the day that it's coming? Because, Father, it is for your name's sake that we want to endure these things well. Father, we thank you for the song, It Is Well With My Soul, that we can sing. You gave us that, Lord, and you gave us Job. You've not left us uninformed on this earth as we struggle. You're a good God, worthy of all praise and honor. And we give it to you now. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.